Welcome to Animals Today, your home for series talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How you doing? Good. You know, I want to remind everyone that the show is a project of advancing the interest of animals, the nonprofit. That you're the president of that, aren't you? I am the president. How convenient. Are you secretary or something? <laughs> something lower than president. Anyway, check advancing the interest of animals out. It's aianimals.org. Yep. And the show's been on how long now? We're in our eighth year of production. If you like what you hear, consider donating to our organization, aianimals.org. And if you want to listen to any of the prior shows, just go to the website, animalstodayradio.com, and they're all there. You can also subscribe on iTunes and listen on your mobile device. That's fun. That is fun. What do you have there, Peter? (laughs) I have, oh my goodness. Remember Anthony Weiner? I know Weiner. He was the former candidate for the mayor of New York City. Well, he was being interviewed on Fox 5 in New York, and he was asked if there's any way he would come out of retirement. You know what he said? He said, only if there's a Trump on the ticket in the New York mayoral race. Uh, As you know, Donald Trump Jr., people are talking about maybe he'll run for mayor. It's been denied strongly. However, Wiener said the following brilliant statement. He's known for his words of wisdom. Anyway, he said, and this is a quote, I would come out of retirement just to beat him like a rented mule, and then I'd turn the keys back over to de Blasio. That's terrible. I know. Beat him like a rented mule. So when I first read that, I and then I went to listen to it. It's like he had this little planned thing. But anyway, I read this and I'm like, I've, I've never heard that idiom before about animals. And I know a lot of animal idioms, as you, as you know. So I wanted to uh, do a little research on what that exactly means. And it can mean a couple of things. Uh, it can mean just that exhausted One commenter on a website I went to said that his father had used to use it all the time, usually after work. And he just said, I am exhausted like a rented mule. Another variation says it's like to beat someone as you would a mule that did not belong to you, like beat without hesitancy. Do you know that Senator McCain once used a phrase like that uh, when they were talking about how he intends to beat Hillary Clinton in the debates? Remember how decisively he did that? Anyway, he said, we're going to beat her like a rented mule in the debates. So there is some precedent for that. Either way, I don't think it's very nice. Wiener is a weasel. Is oh, weasel? that's not nice. Oh, it's offensive to weasels. Right. Weasels are adorable little mammals. Is weasel an idiom? I guess it is, right? Weasel, unfortunately, has a negative connotation. Like, like, like sly, being, sneaky, lying. Yes, but... We think they're cute. Anyway, there are a number of uh, animal expressions or idioms that are sort of cruel and not very nice, and we're always looking for substitutes for them, like humane substitutes, particularly if they're catchy. So uh, we found a couple of them, and we've incorporated a couple of these into our lexicon, haven't we? So here's one phrase I really don't like. It makes me cringe anytime someone says it. Kill two birds with one stone. Oh, I hate that one. Why yeah. not just say it's a twofer? I know. I We have a friend who likes it's a twofer, right. and she uses this uh, strategically, I would say. I sort of like it, but I don't find it very memorable. Mash two potatoes with one fork. How's that? Okay, that's, that's better. Water two plants with one hose. Water two plants with okay. one hose. Okay. <laughs> How about this? I like this one even better. Feeding two birds with one scone. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that? And it's got the bird in it, right? And you're feeding. Right. And, and you're caring for and animals. And scone, right? Yeah. Usually if there's a scone in the house, no bird's going to get it, however, because <laughs> uh, it would last less than one day in our house. 
there's another one, Save Two Birds with One Home. But I like the scone one. That's yeah. my favorite scone. Yeah. I think I'm going to steal that one. Another one I hate is there are many ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Another cringeworthy phrase. And people just throw these out and don't really think about what they're saying. It's not I that know, nice. You I know. know. How about there's more than one way to peel an onion? Okay, that's good. That brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> but I like this one better. There's more than one way to peel a turnip. Okay. Another one I dislike a lot, Peter's beat a dead horse to attempt to convince someone mm-hmm. of something and... You're not really doing a good job yeah, yeah. or you keep on arguing the same point over and over again. <laughs> and you know, okay. the origin of this one, I looked it up. It was in the 1860s when British politician John Bright tried to prompt his uninterested peers in Parliament to pass a piece of legislation and he likened his task to, quote, flogging a dead horse in order to prompt it to pull a load. That is understandable in those times that you could do that. It's interesting why some things catch on and why they don't, you know, what you would say going viral these days. Yeah. There's this phrase, human guinea pig, that's pretty literal and uh, reminds us that guinea pigs and other animals have been and are still used to do little tests on. I don't know what you'd change that to that would be interesting. How about sweating like a pig? Yeah. Do pigs sweat? My understanding is that pigs have very few sweat glands, so they don't really sweat. And Peter, I looked up the origin of this one, and it has more to do with iron smelting than with pigs. Really? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. I bet you very few people would know that, because when you say sweating like a pig, they're not thinking about iron. They're thinking about fat person resembling a fat pig. That's not nice either, but that's where we are right now. Do you have anything against when pigs fly? No, that's great. I know. I like that one. Me too. There's a one I don't like, go the whole hog, which means sort of go all the way or do the task. Yeah. Someone online suggested go the whole watermelon. Do you like that? Eh. No. Okay. You know, I sort of miss Anthony Weiner. He said so many interesting things and I'm a sort of grateful for this little inspiration. What else you got, Lori? (laughs) He's still a weasel. No offense to weasels. I love weasels. Okay, we got it. (laughs) Moving along. What else you got there? Uh, Cat got your tongue. Okay, that's pretty innocuous. Yeah. Okay, that's not like offensive, like it needs to be changed. How did that originate? I would like to know that. Here's one. Let the cat out of the bag. I know the origin of this one. I bet you that's not a pretty image. It really is not. Obviously, the meaning to reveal a secret, right? So this was in 1700s. Marketplace vendors often sold pigs inside of a bag or a pig in a bag called pig in a poke. But you didn't want to buy a pig in a poke because you weren't able to see the quality of the pig or even if you were getting a pig. So scam artists would try to sell a bag containing a cat, not so valuable, instead of a healthy pig, unless you were smart enough to first let the cat out of the bag. Well, here's uh, another one that's not too cruel. It's raining cats and dogs. That's pretty benign and neutral, right? Right. That goes back a long time. The exact origins are are not known, but it probably goes to the 1600s. Then in 1738, Jonathan Swift published his book, which was a satire on the conversations of the upper classes. And one of the characters fears that it will rain cats and dogs. You know, Peter, and I read it originated in the 18th century during heavy rainfall, dog and cat carcasses would flow down along the streets. You know, I read that too. I thought that was refuted, but I guess we'll never know. My mom used to say that a lot. It's raining cats and dogs. Yeah. I ne- it was never a phrase that I really used. 
Well, I think I can bring up this idiom now since we are in the middle of the summer in the hot desert. Okay, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, dog days. Do you know what it means? Like dog days of summer? Yeah. No, I don't know what that means. People do think it it refers to dog days of summer, like hottest mid-summer days, Uh right? I say that, probably not saying it right. Right, but dog days dates to ancient Rome when Romans noticed the hottest days came when the dog star, otherwise known as Sirius, was visible in the sky. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I'll be a monkey's (laughs) uncle. Okay. Okay, Lori. Well, there's one more phrase that I really don't like, and maybe we can find a better replacement. In fact, I asked for help on this one, and it is like shooting fish in a barrel. Do you know that one? I know that one. Okay. So I asked uh, my friends online to give me a humane substitute for that idiom, and we got some, a couple of serious ones, a couple of well, here's what we got. Like shooting politicians in a barrel, someone said. I thought oh, that was good. Yeah, that's cute. That's that's not cruel. It's that, timely. It's humane. Okay. Right? Uh, this one makes most sense, like taking candy from a baby. So I, that's, that's not... That's sort of cruel. Not, oh. Okay. Someone thinks like shooting rubber carrots in a barrel. That doesn't make too much sense. Another comment, like shooting stars at the carnival. I think that's the little air gun sort of contest. Yeah. So that... Doesn't make sense to me. That's very hard. I've never done that successfully. Uh, Someone said, like, shooting ducks on the pond. They're joking, obviously. And here's my favorite uh, possible substitute for the phrase, like, shooting fish in a barrel. Like, hugging koala bears in a closet. Okay. It's a little weird. Why is it your favorite one? I think it's strangely weird. So here's our call to consider substituting humane alternatives for cruel animal phrases and change the course of human history that is just the bee's knees oh my goodness (laughs) don't go away more with animals today right after the break You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner with Animals Today. Today's Animals Today Minute is about giraffe hunting. Within the limitless grassy African plains lies the mighty giraffe, sharing its home with zebras, antelope, lions, cheetahs, and various other animals that make their home in the heart of Africa. These beautiful creatures face deforestation, agricultural conversion, and poaching. Their population has declined at least 40% over the past decade. Today, there are only approximately 80,000 giraffe left in the world. Giraffe numbers are shrinking, and their conservation status is vulnerable on the IUCN red list of threatened species. And the killing of these docile vegetarians continues. Besides the pressure of habitat loss, legal hunting and illegal poaching both occur. Giraffe trophy hunting tourism can be lucrative for the operators and can charge as much as $15,000 for a trip guaranteeing a kill. Illegal sport hunting is also reported to be prevalent. And poachers continue their own killing, seeking meat and coats primarily. 
Another factor contributing to the poaching crisis is the use of parts of the tail as a dowry to the fathers of prospective brides in certain cultures. The animals are literally being killed just to obtain the tail. And, as we've heard before, enforcement of wildlife protection laws is extremely challenging. So please check out the important work of Giraffe Conservation Foundation, African Wildlife Foundation, World Wildlife Foundation, and Wildlife Conservation Society to learn more and to see how you can help protect these gentle giants. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and that was your Animals Today Minute. Welcome back to Animals Today. I want to uh, re-welcome our now good friend, Stuart Chaffetz. He is investigator for showing animals respect and kindness. You know them as Shark, very good friends of the show. Uh, Hi, Stuart. Hello again. Hey, so uh, our listeners are familiar with the uh, wonderful docile cow cow nose rays, and they unfortunately have been the object of killing tournaments. So would you please uh, tell us about these... uh, events and uh, what you're doing about them. Well, we got involved in, in Kano's Ray Killing Contest in Maryland when a group called Fishfield reached out to us. Now, they, had, they were local on the ground, but they didn't have the technology or the uh, really know how to go about filming because filming is everything when it comes to this. If you can't show people what cruelty looks like, people aren't going to rise up and defend those animals. So they asked us to come in, and we did. And uh, uh, the first year we were out, we had one team on a boat filming as these rays uh, were being, and they are very gentle creatures, were being beaten with metal bats and shot with arrows at point-blank range. And I was at the way station filming it undercover and seeing how dead baby rays were attached to their mother because... The contests are based on the uh, based on the weight of the animal. So you would see these guys getting into arguments, trying to push the dead babies back into their mother. And if you don't believe me, go to our video and you can see it for yourself. SharkOnline.org or our YouTube channel and look up Kano's Rays. Uh, it really was hor- horrific stuff. So we released a video and held press conferences in Maryland after the first year. And that got so much attention that the following year, two of the contests, there are three contests, Two of them were canceled, which was a major victory into itself. But one of them, by a group called American Bow Hunters, said they were defiant. They said, we're going to continue to do this. And we went out and filmed them again. And we captured even more horrors, such as a newborn baby ray, a small little, was shot with an arrow at point-blank range. And you see her die slowly on the boat in a pool of blood. Yeah. And what came out of that was is that that was the, the tipping point. Oh. And Maryland legislature passed a bill that would put a moratorium on these contests, make them illegal for now, while they try to figure things out. But at least it stopped these shoot, uh, these contests cold. And it was really important. It was again, it was a, another stunning victory. As someone said to us, uh, you know, that you don't see that many victories for aquatic animals and you know, fish in the ocean. And um, but it, but it all came down to people just saw these animals and they saw the plight, and that's why it's so important. And we you know we're glad that Fishfield reached out to us. And quite frankly, if we had more resources, we'd be in a lot more places helping other groups like this. Yeah. You know, groups that that just can't do it on their own, but they can use help, and it changes everything. 
and that's exactly what happened here. And it really, it was, you know, if you see these animals and how just disrespectfully they were treated and the cruelty, the just terrible, terrible cruelty committed to them, then you know why people in Maryland rose up and shut them down. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep a watch on that, and as we keep a watch on many issues that we're involved in. But again, it's the video. It's being where the killing is happening. It's, it's putting yourself at risk sometimes, and, and, but getting there and getting the video out to the public. Stuart, can you uh, reveal to us a little bit about the uh, techniques or challenges in obtaining the uh, real valuable video? What can you tell us that won't harm your techniques or your, your methods? You know, it depends on the situation. We've done undercover work. And when I say that, um, like like Senator Inhofe's pigeon shoot or the cow nose raise, what it means is, you know, with my cell phone in hand, I will go to... Uh, you know these events, and I pretend to enjoy them, and you, you know you're, you're part of it. There was a uh, I'm thinking of another event. There was a uh, really horrific uh, uh, Mexican-style rodeo in New Jersey where they were mercilessly whipping the animals. But you so you're there, and you pretend to have fun, and then you you get what you what you need, and then you get out of there. You don't argue with anybody. You have to you have to really make it seem like you're part of it and enjoying it. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't get it. Um, and that can be difficult and dangerous on certain occasions, not always. But it, it, it's, uh, you know, that's one aspect. The more prevalent thing that we do is we have drones. You know, we were, we were really the first animal group to have drones with cameras on them, and we're filming everything with them. Uh, pigeon shoots. Uh, we filmed a couple of dog breeding facilities where dogs are being sold for experimentation. You know, wherever there's abuse, you really can, you know, if you can legally fly the drones, we're, we are out there doing it. That's a, you know, incredible tool. We bought these long range cameras a bunch of years ago, which, you know, can see, I think it's like a quarter of a mile away. You can see up close and we use those for pigeon shoots. Some of this equipment is very expensive, but you know, pretty much everyone has a cell phone. So if you are somewhere and you see cruelty, you can just take your cell phone out and, you know, if you don't want to get caught, just pretend like you're having fun. Oh, wow, oh, look at this. And, you know, you just film it and then, you know, try to keep your hands steady and then release it to the public one way. Or if you have questions, you can always reach out to us. You know, you know there have been times where people say, I really don't know what to do or I've got some video, what do I do with it? We'll show you because our YouTube channel has got tens of millions of views because we're constantly putting out videos that are important and, and getting it out. And it's a way to make the, the public and sometimes people around the world see the cruelty that you've experienced and now they're experiencing it, and hopefully they'll, they'll they'll fight against it. And I do get nearly daily alerts from Shark telling me about another video has been uploaded, and uh, one that was particularly memorable, I think, involved one of your drones in Pennsylvania that was shot down by one of the pigeon shooters, right? Yeah, that's actually happened a few different times. In fact, uh, Senator Inhofe, when we were there in 2015, they shot one of our drones. Oh, great. Um, it happened two times in Pennsylvania at different pigeon shoots, but, you know, it doesn't stop us. We keep going back, and, you know, we, we just fight harder. Um, many times, or most of the time, uh, law enforcement, local law enforcement won't touch them because they're usually people with power, so they get away with it. But you got to keep going back. If they shoot down a drone, you got to come back with two drones and just keep going. Otherwise, they'll win. Otherwise, they... Their cruelty will continue, but I should say this, you know, when Inhofe shot our drone down in 2015, 
it doesn't look like it helped him too much in the long run because he eventually had to sh- shut those pitching shoots down. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't run away. Next year we came back smarter. We flew another drone, but we also went to the site where they were shooting the pigeons and rescued all those two dozen wounded birds he left behind. So you got to come back smarter and stronger and uh, always nonviolent and then just keep fighting away. Well, we appreciate your work at Stuart Chaffetz from Showing Animals Respect and Kind of Shark. What's the website, Stuart? Sharkonline.org. Catch us up on Facebook and uh, our YouTube channel to see all our videos. And uh, you can get that all through our website, sharkonline.org. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You're listening to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. I want to remind you to visit us at animalstodayradio.com. Like us on Facebook and go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Each week, we bring you the latest animal news from around the globe. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. And if you like what you hear, consider donating to our cause of promoting compassion and respect for all animals. That website again is aianimals.org. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. There's this phrase you sometimes hear, doggy dementia, which is an everyday term for cognitive dysfunction syndrome in dogs. But what does it really mean, and how is dementia in dogs diagnosed? And can it be prevented or treated? To find out more about dementia in dogs, I'm very pleased to welcome board-certified neurologist Stephen Hansen, who runs the Veterinary Neurology Center in Palm Desert, California. Welcome to the program, Dr. Hansen. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Stephen, doggy dementia, there... This is a real entity, different from just a dog getting older, correct? Right. It's not, um, it's not really a normal aging change. It's more consistent with, like, Alzheimer's and people. There are a lot of similarities between the two conditions. And how common is it? Well, some estimates say about 50% of dogs over the, year, over the age of 11 can show some signs of cognitive dysfunction syndrome. And then once a dog reaches 15 to 16 years old, the percentage of incidence goes up to about 68%. So a fair, fair number of dogs that get to that age will show some symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. And what are the symptoms? And especially, what are the early symptoms we can look out for? Yeah, the early symptoms can be kind of hard to detect because, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell if a dog is really disoriented or not. Definitely when it becomes more advanced, you'll see things like a dog getting lost in the house or not recognizing people they normally would recognize. Um, Oftentimes, they also have disruption of their sleep-wake cycle. So they may sleep all day and then be up 
wandering aimlessly around the house at night. Uh, sometimes they'll lose house training. And then occasionally a dog with dementia will have some anxiety and be a little bit agitated. Mm. It can start as early as about seven years of age, although with most dogs it uh, starts much later. Stephen, are there other degenerative diseases that cause cognitive decline in younger dogs? Well, just about anything that affects the brain can create symptoms that mimic cognitive dysfunction. So things like a brain tumor, an infection in the brain, um, immune disease in the brain, those can cause disorientation, um, behavioral changes that can look like cognitive dysfunction. But definitely, if a dog younger than seven were to show symptoms like that, uh, we would really want to um, do some tests to rule out other things. And how about aggression? Can that develop? It's unlikely that cognitive dysfunction syndrome is going to turn a placid dog into an aggressive dog. However, they can be more easily startled. And oftentimes dogs with cognitive dysfunction also are losing their hearing. Maybe their vision isn't the best. And so um, they can be startled and they may be a little more prone to snap. So I think that some caution has to be exercised around a dog like that. But it's unlikely that they're going to start aggressively uh, you know, going after people. How do you diagnose the condition? It's mainly diagnosed off of the history, you know, having symptoms consistent with cognitive dysfunction. Um, but a really important part of diagnosing it is to rule out other things that can cause similar problems or similar symptoms. So a good examination by a veterinarian is really important and maybe also some lab work because other diseases like liver dysfunction can make a dog disoriented. Sometimes dogs with eye problems can have visual deficits where they look disoriented. And then also dogs with um, painful conditions like degenerative joint disease they may be more reclusive and less interactive with people. So if an underlying disease like that can be identified and treated, um, you know, maybe the dog can be restored back to a normal level of function and uh, be a happy pet again. If medical conditions are ruled out, then it really takes an MRI to diagnose canine cognitive dysfunction because like I mentioned, things like a brain tumor can yeah. really mimic the symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. So um, that might be treated with a variety of uh, means. Um, and there are things that we can see on an MRI that would be very indicative of the brain degeneration that we see with cognitive dysfunction syndrome. Are there breeds of dogs more susceptible to getting doggy dementia? There's really no breed predisposition. It can happen in small dogs and large dogs. Um, both sexes are affected, so there's, uh, there's no way to select for a dog to avoid uh, cognitive dysfunction. And no research showing mixed breeds might be less likely to get it? No, because it's not fully understood how the disease develops. You know, there are certain... Um, parts of the pathophysiology that have been worked out, like there's free radical um, production and there's uh, deposition of a neurotoxic protein called beta amyloid. 
but we don't really understand why dogs, why some dogs develop beta amyloid more quickly than others. There may be some sort of genetic predisposition, but at this point, we don't really know. And Stephen, describe how this disease progresses. Uh, the end stages of dementia in people are pretty horrible. Yeah, unfortunately, it can be pretty sad as a dog really loses interaction with the family. Um, They may spend more time sleeping, and eventually they may stop eating and drinking. So that can produce all sorts of other serious symptoms. Discuss treatment of dementia in dogs. Yeah. There are basically three things that can be done to address dementia and slow its progression Unfortunately, there's nothing to be done to cure it, but it it can be slowed. And one of the ways that can be done is just with environmental enrichment. So, you know, new toys, regular exercise, a lot of interaction, um, that sort of thing can improve the mental function. So a dog that really has no stimulation is more likely to have more rapidly progressive dementia. Then there's some nutritional things that can be done, Uh, certain supplements like antioxidants, omega-3 fatty acids, um, ginkgo biloba has been looked at. Those things might slow the progression. And in fact, there are a couple of uh, food companies that have made special diets, like there's Hills BD, uh, which has these sort of antioxidants in it that may slow the progression of dementia. And these things, and the third, yeah, go oh, ahead, please. Uh, the third way is with medication. Unfortunately, there really is no medication that is consistently effective. Um, there's a medication called Anapril, also known as Selegiline or Eldepranil, and that's been uh, approved for use in dogs to treat cognitive dysfunction. In testing of that drug, about 69% of dogs treated with it showed some improvement in their mental function. Interestingly, the placebo group in that study had about a 52% improvement just with the placebo. So it's hard to know for sure how much that drug works. The other thing that we know uh, Anapril does is it causes more stimulation, both Anapril and its metabolites, which are amphetamine and methamphetamine, can just cause more arousal. So sometimes those dogs may be alert, they may be more active. It doesn't necessarily mean they're uh, you know, having better mental function. Dr. Hansen, is there any evidence that dementia in dogs can be prevented or delayed in any way by enriching the lives or diets of dogs, like the things that you mentioned that could slow the progression of the disease? Is there anything we can do to prevent the disease? Yeah, I think intuitively, based on what we know about the pathology, things like enrichment, good healthy diets, all-around vitamin supplements, those things make a lot of sense. I don't think there have been any long-term studies to look at dogs, um, you know, who had substandard diets compared to dogs with good diets and how that changed the outcome and increased uh, prevalence of dementia. But I think that it makes sense that having a lot of interaction, um, an active lifestyle, a lot of um, engagement with people and other animals is healthy for a dog's mental function 
its whole life. Dr. Stephen Hansen, thank you for appearing on Animals Today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for a serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit aianimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. Okay, Lori, a little SeaWorld captive orca update. Uh, Last week, the killer whale named Kasatka, nearly 42 years old, died. So sad. This whale had lung disease, had been treated for years. They finally decided to euthanize her to, quote, prevent compromising her quality of life, which Mm -hmm. is really a, a funny thing. She was captured near Iceland in 1978 and arrived at San Diego the same year. And that's how she spent her life in this park. So for all those years, she's been suffering with lung disease. Well, for years. This is, you got to listen to this. Here's a quote. Today, I lost a member of my family. I have spent the past several years with Kasatka and was truly blessed to be part of her life, said Christy Bertis, orca behaviorist. Although I am heartbroken, I am grateful for the special time we had together and for the difference she has made for wild orcas by all we have learned from her. I adored Kasatka and loved sharing her with millions of people. I will miss her very much. Is that the most selfish and delusional thing? So self-serving. It's I know. I, absolutely. And, and she, talking about these captive animals, you know, being ambassadors to their wild cousins. It's just such nonsense to put this whale through this torture, horrible life for some dream. I know. Some fantasy. It's really a tragedy. It really is. Earlier this year, Tillicum died. Tillicum was 36. You know all about him. So now SeaWorld San Diego has 10 orcas. And that's because about one month ago, Kiara, who was only three months old, the last orca calf to be born at SeaWorld, died in San Antonio. The cause of death was felt to be pneumonia. San Antonio SeaWorld Sea Park. Right. Here's another quote from a SeaWorld orca trainer. Kiara had a tremendous impact on each of her care staff, not to mention all the guests that had a chance to see her. From late nights to early morning, rain or shine, we dedicate our lives to these animals, and this loss will be felt throughout the entire SeaWorld family. And SeaWorld, as a business and corporation, has been suffering, as you know. Recently, it was reported that visitation dropped 4% during the first half of the year, with the San Diego and the Orlando parks doing the worst. And boy, CEO Joel Manby, he is really tap dancing, trying to explain to his shareholders what they're doing. And here's a little stock price update. July 1st, 2013, the share price was $36.67. And August 24th, 2017, it had fallen to $13.41. And if you just 
search SeaWorld stock price, the symbol is S-E-A-S, you could see all these analysts chiming in. Is SeaWorld dead or is it time to buy SeaWorld? There's a lot of interest in, in this company. And there are whispers about SeaWorld possibly wanting to allow itself to be purchased and rescued by someone else. They've tried many things. We've talked about them before, revamping their crack and roller coaster, for instance, to make it more interactive. But they are definitely a, a struggling corporation. That's great. Good news. Now I'm pleased to welcome Kim Scarrett. She is founder and president of Silver Muzzle Cottage Rescue and Hospice. Hello, Kim. Hi. Okay, so we should start with this. Many people don't realize that senior dog homelessness is a big problem, right? They absolutely don't. They, uh, I think a lot of people understand that uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, economic issues, you know, people are losing jobs, losing homes, that kind of thing. And it, it becomes difficult for them to keep their pets, so they want to do what's best and find new homes for them. But that accounts for about 50%. The other 50% are dogs that are not well cared for, um, for whatever reason, uh, dogs who have been neglected, dogs who are found as strays. Um, and for the senior animals, that's particularly difficult. Uh, when they get to a point where their health is poor uh, and, and they become weaker and can't fend for themselves, their care is particularly important. And unfortunately, if they're found as strays or relinquished to a shelter, the seniors are not always first in line to be saved. Um, there's certainly a large following out there, folks that really can appreciate adopting a senior, and they'll sweep in and, and rescue those dogs. But if worse comes to worse and a shelter is short on um, kennel space, uh, the seniors, unfortunately, are, are one of the first ones to go. So what are you doing and how'd you get started? Well, I fortunately had a, um, a, a, I have a social rehab and cage reporting business. So I have a very dog-friendly facility, and we had uh, property here uh, building on our property that uh, was just being used as storage and not very well at that. And I thought there's got to be a better way to utilize this building. And about that time, I started seeing a lot of uh, posts on social media about senior dogs needing homes. And I, I didn't really understand that just because that's, um, you know, I have not found myself in that position of needing to give up a dog. But I thought a senior dog, you know, dogs that are 13, 14, 15 years old needing to find new homes. And I, I didn't understand that. And then I, of course, realized what was happening to these dogs, that a lot of them were just being euthanized because nobody wanted them. So I uh, started the rescue. Um, we have rescued 98 dogs at this point in time. Uh, 76 of those dogs have been adopted out. Uh, about 12 have, uh, we have helped them cross over. Uh -huh. um, because we are hospice, we will take dogs of any condition, um, even if they're terminal and have a week to live. Our goal is to bring them in, let them know they're loved as they crossed over, and um, you know, just make sure that uh, their time is um, spent you know, being well cared for in the last moments of their life. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners how they can learn about you, support you, and uh, visit you? 
Okay, we do have a website. It's silvermuzzlecottage.com. Uh, we also heavily network on our Facebook page, and that's Silver Muzzle Cottage at you know Facebook page and um, you know yes we definitely need donations especially after uh, picking up the new property you know expansion was definitely in the works uh, we want to do volunteer staycations where folks can come help care for the dogs uh, stay on the property with us and uh, just help us pull this together make it bigger and better than it already is they can definitely email us, silvermuzzlecottage at gmail.com. Uh, they can check out the dogs we have if they use Facebook. It is a public page, so uh -huh. even if they don't have a Facebook account, they can still look at the page and see the dogs that we have available for adoption. And, and if we can't take the dogs in here, a lot of times we will network those dogs on our page oh, so fabulous. that um, maybe somebody else can come and rescue them from the shelter or uh, perhaps an owner that's needing to find a home for their senior. It's wonderful work, Kim. Thank you very much. That's Kim Skerritt from Silver Muzzle Cottage Rescue and Hospice. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. This is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at animalstodayradio.com. Animalstodayradio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's animalstodayradio.com. Thanks for listening.